Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now. Never been like that. They can say Donald Trump won. I give him that. But he, as a Republican incumbent, didn't get 40% of the vote of the primary. All right there, Robert Gibbs. We have two, it seems like somewhat conflicting views of what the (laughs) meaning of the South Carolina uh, primary was uh, over the weekend. Uh, And uh, I think we ought to discuss the state of the uh, Republican Party with uh, a decidedly ununified uh, guest. Uh, Our buddy Sarah Longwell is back. Uh, from the Focus Group, one of the great uh, podcasts of uh, of our time, publisher of the Bulwark. What's the name of your apostate Republican group? Defending Democracy Together, but we also run Republican voters against Trump. Yeah, you got a lot of things going on, man. You... <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of disunity in the Republican Party, so you got a yeah, lot so, of ground to so, cover. To, to Nikki Haley's, so uh, says Nikki point. Haley, right? Yeah. So Sarah. What does that 40% actually mean? And is Trump an incumbent? So should we think of it that way? I think so. Look, I I think there's two ways to read it. There's a glass half full case and there's a glass half empty case. Um, I think we just heard it, yeah. Yeah, I like to take the glass half full case, uh, which is Nikki's. I will say, though, just for accuracy's sake, just for thinking about how things might go, the fact is it wasn't 40% of Republicans in this primary. Mm-hmm. It was 28% right. of self-identified Republicans uh, that that actually voted for Nikki Haley. Um, and the in South Carolina, 68% of the people who voted in the primary were Republicans. So she won 59% of independents. And I think because she spent at least $16 million in the state, because she had yeah, three weeks. His one, yeah. Yeah, she did a lot of mobilization with independents. And um I don't know how many of those it was sort her of... state too, and I don't know how you right. I don't know how you uh include that, but she got, you know, uh this is on top of the forty two in New Hampshire, which was probably half independents and and uh and Democrats or more. But what does it tell us moving forward? I think it says that he's a little weaker. Um, with the general election population, uh, then, you know, I think the polling right now has people really freaked out. Almost every poll that comes out in swing states has Trump up, uh, you know, five-ish points, somewhere between three to six points. And um, I I don't know what's going on with the polling right now, but I do think when I talk to... (laughs) I do. (laughs) Yeah, it's just early. It's just early. I'm not just saying, people don't think the race is formed yet. Right. They they do not know uh, that it's going to be Trump or Biden. There is I, I listen to these voters and focus groups all the time. And there is still the belief that something different is going to happen. Yeah. But when you mobilize and I think this is what Nikki Haley's done, when you mobilize the anti-Trump coalition, when they get a chance to go vote against Trump, you do see energy there. And I think that's what we saw in South Carolina. That's the part uh, that's the glass half full part that I'm excited about. David, I think to your point at the very beginning, I do think two things can be true. I think he won the state overwhelmingly, right? And if you look at what a nomination contest is, which is a fight for delegates, you, you know, he overwhelmed her with delegates and he's going to overwhelm her with delegates in Michigan. He's going to overwhelm her with delegates in Idaho. He's going to overwhelm her with delegates on Super Tuesday. I do think there is a, there's no doubt though, there is an underlying problem, whether it is with independence, which we all well know can vote in a general election. I do also think he's got a a part Republican Party problem, and you see some of this in the exit polling um, that suggests even at this point, whether or not he's an incumbent or not, he's been the far away front runner for the nomination. 
And there's no doubt that there's some percentage of that that is is having trouble swallowing the idea of Donald Trump being the nominee for the Republican Party again. You've said this before, Axe, and I give you great credit in saying, you know, if you're the Biden campaign, you'd be doing focus groups for these voters because some level of these voters are, are some level of these voters are going to get right with who the Republican nominee is because it happens every time, right? That that you go through a contest, you pick your candidate, it takes a little time, you vote for the nominee. Some of them aren't going to vote. Some of them could be peeled off, and in a in a race with six states deciding it and a few a few percentage points in each state, it might not take a lot of disaffected Haley voters to to make things more interesting. There's there's no doubt we ha- we have two nominees who have great vulnerabilities, and um, uh, and Trump can uh, bleed some, but. Um, it's really hard to judge this um, out of the context of the choice. Uh, and so, uh, you know, as Sarah said, you know, what percentage of these people uh, put on their red jersey come November versus Biden? What percentage don't vote? What percentage vote for a third party candidate, which I think is going to be uh, yeah. sig- a, a significant factor here? In a race that will be marginal in those battleground states that you guys uh, mentioned, I don't know how um, to interpret this. I think, Sarah, you said glass half full, glass half empty. If Murphy was here, he'd be uh, dr- drinking um, both glasses. M- ma- no, he'd be drinking madly from. He's already given up on the glass half full. Trump's going to lose. Uh, we started. You know, a year, a year ago with him saying Trump is crumbling. You can see it. He's going to get crushed in Iowa. You guys going to have to eat 300 pounds of crow. Didn't we bet him? When are we collecting on this bet? He lost that no, bet. We said he was going to have to eat the crow, but I can't find a 300 pound crow. And <laughs> so we're still uh, we're still looking. But uh, I think his glass half full interpretation would be Sarah's, which is this shows uh, Trump's vulnerability. Let, let me ask you something, Sarah. I heard you uh, delivering at uh, a, a powerful and heartfelt uh, tribute to Nikki Haley this morning on CNN uh, and uh, encouraging her to stay in. Um, and I talked to some another never Trumper Republican today who said, yeah, she should stay in because she drives him nuts and it's good for people to see him in his full craziness. Um, but um, what is Haley doing? I mean, here's the thing about Nikki Haley. She is she flip-flops back and forth. There's no it's not clear who she is, right? But we know there's a version of her that is this version, right? The version that sees clearly who Donald Trump is and is going at him hard. I think what is happening is that she realizes she wasn't getting anywhere appealing to Trump's base. Uh, And she was going into some of these open primary states. The only path was for her to kind of burn the boats and start going after him harder. And that has allowed her to overperform the polls. I listen to Mike Murphy all the time on this show, and he does overshoot uh, in his optimism about this party quite a bit. Um, But I will say I've been (laughs) under or she has exceeded my expectations Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how she's been doing. And so I think she's probably exceeding her own a little bit, and she's doing it by animating the anti-Trump coalition. And so I think she's decided to lean into that. To what end, I guess, is what I'm asking. You know what? I think she's learned from running this race. Here's the thing. I think a lot of Republican elites, Mike Pence um, and just about everybody who ran, right, they got into this race, but especially the pre-Trump politicians, the Tim Scotts, the Mike Pence, the Nikki Haley, they realize now that the party's gone. I'm not sure they clearly saw it going into this race. Otherwise, they might not have run. Um, but I do think as they have run this race, Nikki Haley has realized independents are now her constituency. She does not have uh, a real foothold in this Republican Party. And once you realize how much the party's changed, it is possible that she sees that this is not her future. Every time I see someone predict that Nikki Haley is, is saying, oh, well, if I'm the last person standing, I'm the presumptive nominee in 2028. Yeah, I just shake my nuts. head. I shake my head. No, she's not. The party is going in the opposite direction for Nikki Haley. So yeah. my hope is that what she's done is decide this is too much. 
and that she won't endorse Trump. I got to tell you, my biggest fear. Well, about this Nikki is Haley, a question as well, because, you she know, she's already pledged to even if he was convicted. I don't want to have a therapy session here, but I, I don't I don't think that uh, for us or her. He's talking about me. Yeah, I was talking about Sarah. Yeah, I, I don't, he's calling me Lucy with the football right now. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think. Look, I think what she's probably doing as much as anything right now, and I said this a bit ago, which is she's accumulating some level of delegates, albeit extraordinarily small. We should again underscore, but we yeah. should, you know, she she's trying to be the person that if Trump's legal life gets even more complicated than owing half a billion dollars, meaning in a criminal sense. That, you know, look, you see this on the left too, but it's like, shouldn't we replace the candidate? You know, they're going to be, there's going to be, Robert. Well, let me, fine. Ezra, others. Um, I I think that, I I think she's trying to be the last person standing and, and a, and a legitimate one that's getting 40 some percent of the vote. And, and if something happens to, to Donald Trump as the nominee sees there, as you said, acts politically, it would make sense only for her to get out um, because she would remain in some ways in good stead with the Republican Party, even after what she's done. I, I think that she's I, I think she's staying in to try to make some larger points. But I also think she's trying to hold on to something if something happens. All right. So let, let's just just take a short break for a reality check. I agree with Sarah that the, she would be the last person that the Trump's Trumpies would turn to. Uh, if Trump, for some reason, couldn't go forward. If Trump is convicted, that will affect his ability to be nominated not one whit. They will go ahead and nominate him convicted or not. And if he is convicted, he will be more determined than ever to be that nominee because he he will be that much more desperate not to go to prison. Mine was predicated on him not being the nominee, not just convicted. But but let me just, just yeah. so I mean, because I hear this crap just like I hear this <laughs> this crap on the Democratic side that some some uh, delegation of elders is going to go down and persuade Biden not not to be the nominee. First of all, how do you find people who, elders who are more elderly than Biden? That's not going to happen. Secondly, the, that that history is done. I mean, this is that's 1940s history. That's not the way politics works today. These guys I, are I'm not going saying to be, just to be clear. Yeah, no, I, no, no, I no, no, I, no. Don't you don't have to defend yourself. I, I'm, I'm. Well, I do sort of because you. One, I think you're taking a bit of license with what I was trying to make as a point. But you go ahead. You 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 label it crap, and so, we'll, no, but we'll I, just I, hear it. I do that all the time. I know. I, I know. <laughs> that's that's therein lies part of the challenge. <laughs> my question really is if i'm trying to crawl into nikki haley's head and think about what she is at because she's she's a very ambitious politician and um you know one of the things that sort of drives me I, a clue is she is hitting trump for sure as sarah pointed out uh but the thing she keeps saying is he can't win so we shouldn't be for him she never says he he shouldn't win. And when she crosses that line, she'll have, you know, she'll have earned the courage award. Uh, but it seems to me what she's playing for is to have a big, I told you so if he goes down in November and be the person who can lead the party back. But the question is, can you do that and not say I'm going to vote for him at the end of it? No, which is why she's going to say she's going to vote for him. She's already said it. I know, but she's, you know, she, as, Sarah points out she 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 never she never feels particularly burdened by what she said before. I, I understand, but I do think politicians are going to politician, right? She she does want a future. She's fifty two, right? right she doesn't see herself as you know the last act of the Nikki Haley campaign, and so no, I, think, I think she she sees herself as the Renaissance candidate. I think, but Sarah would know better. I don't think there's a world where she endorses Biden. I think there's a no, world in which she, not. right? Okay, but I think there's a world in which she with either withholds her endorsement or does something very tepid. Like there are ranges of what uh, a candidate can do to support the nominee, right? And so she can she can telegraph a lot. Now, obviously, uh, look, Nikki, nobody's no politician's broken my heart more than Nikki Haley. Uh, like the, a younger. Uh, Sarah Longwell thought Nikki Haley was the future of the party, and I was excited about that. And having watched her, I mean, 
it was the most pathetic thing I've ever seen when she stood there and said, when asked if she was going to run for president, that she had to check with Donald Trump first. And I have watched her reverse herself and walk back. There's a reason when you ask about Nikki Haley and the focus groups, they all say, well, I don't trust her. And I think what they mean is they've seen her be on both sides of the Donald Trump question several times. Uh, and it's one of the same reasons I don't trust her. That being said, if she were to withhold, um, that would be incredible. And it would because right now she's either she could be doing an enormous amount of damage to Trump right now or she could be doing an enormous amount of damage to Biden right now. We actually don't know which until she either endorses or doesn't endorse, because if she does endorse Trump after everything she said and Gibbs, you seem to think that's a, a, a foregone conclusion, um, she builds a permission structure for those voters to say the yes. worst thing, which is that as bad as Donald Trump is. He is still not worse than Biden. And I have a great, I think there's a, look, I think there's probably a 65% chance she does that. She's setting herself up. I heard her say it on NPR the other day that Biden is worse. However, well, if she if she doesn't endorse, she has built an enormous permission structure for her types of voters to also withhold their vote from Donald Trump. And I think that we should not, I think we should demand that of her. We might, well, we could very well lose that fight, but I oftentimes think we let politicians off the hook when we just say, well, it's all over and we take the most cynical view of them every single time because then they have no incentive to do the right thing. We take the most cynical view from them because they act like politicians. I understand. I understand. Yeah, well, I always say I've said it a million times. There's a reason Profiles encourages a slim volume. I mean, it's right. not, but it's not, I'm not denigrating her. I mean, this is what, you know, she in order she's got to have some viability to become whatever she wants to be. You're, you're raising the question. I guess my question is, um, I think if she does endorse him, what she's saying is, I'm I'm gonna I'm not done and I'm coming back. If she if she if she does endorse him, I should say. If she doesn't endorse him, I think it's harder for her perhaps uh, to come back in four years and say, um, you know. But maybe not. Maybe she figures. Listen, I will. I'm keeping. I will keep my Republican uh, card intact. I will grudgingly endorse him when he fails. I will come back and say I warned you about that. But it is really hard. It's unbelievable. Here's a guy who's single-handedly holding up aid to Ukraine, uh, who hugs Putin. She is a hawk on these issues. She thinks they're central to who the country is and should be it's a it's a real hard thing for i mean biden is much closer her views on these issues than uh than trump on those issues yes but she doesn't believe for one second that joe biden is worse than donald trump she doesn't believe that inside i, I am certain of it I, I think you guys are misunder uh, well Sarah, i would say i think Yes, on Ukraine and a few other things, but let's be honest, on about 80 other policy issues, she's aligned with the Republican Party. I think we're I think we're forgetting the way primaries normally end in these things, right? Tax, you remember at the end of 2008, if you mm -hmm. listened to Hillary Clinton, you would have thought Barack Obama was so inexperienced that he would pose a danger to leading the country, right? Because that's what you say at the end of these races when that's your message. And and then you come back and you decide, you know, in the end, and we know this is the driving force in our politics today, is political party, right? It's that it's it, it's gonna it's to your point, David. We're all they're all gonna put on red jerseys. We're all gonna put on blue jerseys. And I, I think the likelihood that she's, I think the likelihood that even now she thinks she agrees with Joe Biden more than Donald Trump is 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 nothing but a fantasy. Or crap, I guess, in, in Axe's uh, verbiage it, it, today. Yeah. Donald Trump is like, oh, I'm sorry. This is, she doesn't agree with him on his spending, on the debt. She doesn't agree with him on Social Security and Medicare. She actually, Donald Trump, he has changed. the. Yeah, no, I know you, you think she's bad, but she is much closer to a traditional Republican on those things than Donald Trump is. But the Republican Party is less close to the, the, the traditional Republican on those issues. Gibbs, here's the thing. I take your point, and I I think it's real, this idea that we have a reason to be cynical, not just about politicians, but about Nikki Haley in particular. But hold on one second. There are politicians who have had their road to Damascus moment, right? Liz Cheney has, Adam Kinzinger has, Liz Cheney voted for Donald Trump in 2020, right? She voted for him knowing all those things, but she split from after January 6th. I mean, Nikki Haley 
might uh, she, she disagrees with Donald Trump on his position that the Constitution should be gotten rid of. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of there's, there's no way, way that she doesn't think Joe Biden is safer than Donald Trump, that Donald Trump's not more dangerous. But here's the thing about Nikki Haley. She either knows that she has no future in the Republican Party or she's delusional. And if she knows she has no future in the Republican Party, then she has a reason to stand up to Donald Trump now because it's the right thing to do. If she's delusional and thinks there's a world in which the Republican Party is coming back to somebody like her, then yes, she endorses him and everything else. But the thing that Liz Cheney began to understand and the thing that many of these Republicans who have turned their back on Trump have understood is that this party is not the one they joined, policy or otherwise. I think it's a long road back. But again, she's 52. I think, you know, you mentioned Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, but both neither of them could get elected class president. But neither could Nikki Haley. She couldn't get reelected governor in South Carolina right now. I I, I don't know. I'd take her against Henry McMaster. Um, But I, I do think that I do think she believes she has a political future. I do believe she thinks that that the party isn't going to be the same party today, particularly if Donald Trump loses. I agree with Axe that she'll put on her I told you so shirt and and go off marching around the fact that that Republicans keep losing elections. They should be winning. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by The Washington Post. Washington Post helps you go deeper on the news that matters most to you. Their great journalists bring you to the facts and clarity about what's happening on Capitol Hill, in the economy, climate change, foreign policy, and all the other stuff that you care about. Whether it's breaking news updates, the most comprehensive political and international coverage, thought-provoking opinions, or even new dinner recipes, a Washington Post subscription has something for every type of newsreader. Stories that explain the world, teach you something new, and sometimes inspire you. Uh, you know, I've been reading the Post for half a century. I actually was a stringer for the Washington Post a- as a college student. It's been a great newspaper. It has broken some of the biggest stories of our time. And I begin every day reading a series of newspapers, but it often starts with the Washington Post. I've signed up, and you should too, for the Post For You newsletter, which sends me my own very personalized roundup of stories every evening based on my interests and in, in reading history. Their app is so convenient that it makes it easy for you to stay up to date on the latest news, save stories to your reading list, and follow your favorite authors. And you know, the Post offers a cool feature for audio lovers like you. You can actually listen to articles in addition to reading them so you can catch up on the news even while you're doing other things. And if you're in a rush and you need to catch up quickly on the day's most important and interesting stories, the Post newsletter called The Seven is a quick commute read each weekday morning, and it's also available as a podcast. And you think The Post only covers politics? Not true at all. You name it, they cover it, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking. The Washington Post helps you discover a world of surprising stories, important insights, and actionable advice. A Washington Post subscription makes it easy to access quality, trustworthy journalism, and it's affordable, too. So go to WashingtonPost.com slash hacks to subscribe for just 50 cents a week for your first year. That's 80% better than their typical offer. So this really is a steal, folks. Take advantage of it. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash hacks to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. She is, has like eight fundraisers this week, uh, and it makes me wonder whether she's putting chestnuts away for a long, hard winter here. The funny thing is, is she may endorse, if, if she endorses Trump, she will endorse Trump rooting for his failure because that's the only prescription for her theory that she can come back. But l- one last question on her. Um, uh, you know, the speech she made on, uh, Saturday was a, a a classic kind of third way speech, uh, and you know there's this discussion about would she go would she go independent, and uh, here's a clip of her talking about this. Would she go to the uh, no labels party? 
Well, I'm sitting here focused on Super Tuesday states. That's what I'm going to do. I'm a Republican. I have not talked to any other organization. I have not put a second or of thought into an independent run because I'm a Republican. That's what I've always been. I've been a conservative Republican my whole life. I'm not going to switch over and have a Democrat vice vice president. That's not something I would do. My heart has always been with the Republican Party in this country. So it doesn't exactly rule out an independent run, but it does sort of rule out the No Labels Party because they have said avowedly that they would have a bipartisan ticket. Uh, so I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like she's going down that road. She did certainly do well. If you look at where she did well in South Carolina, yeah. along, you know, along the coast, particularly in the Charleston area, um, uh, in in Columbia. I mean, she did, to Sarah's point around sort of taking the Republican and the independent number and sort of what her composition of vote is. A lot of those retirees that are moving from other places into the coast of South Carolina for the taxes and the weather um, and and aren't sort of traditional red state South Carolina voters came out in big numbers for her. That's right. I, I don't see her doing the third party thing um, like no labels because this no labels. Stuff is, they're so silly. It's the most uh, ridiculous operation I've ever seen. But it it is um, because Larry Hogan is now running for Senate and Joe Manchin has said he's out. They're out there now being like, yes, of course, we'd love to talk to Nikki Haley like they're floating it. Nikki Haley's yeah, not going to them being like, boy, I, I sure think this is interesting. And sure. besides that, there's sore loser laws like I, there's just all kinds of reasons why I don't see um, her going that way. And no label should pull the plug and pack it up. Yeah. Or change their name to the no candidate party. Yeah, that's right. That could be. I know Michigan has a sore loser rule where if you run in the Michigan primary, you can't uh, run in the general election. Let's talk about Michigan, because even as we speak today, Michigan voters are are streaming to the polls to uh, vote in two races that ultimately have no meaning uh, for president. Um, but uh, there, you know, people will look at Haley and see how she does there. And on the Democratic side, uh, there is this late breaking uh, drama about uh, whether Democrats will vote uncommitted and listen to uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman from Detroit and other leaders who were protesting uh, Biden's uh, Middle East policies, policy toward uh, the war in Gaza. Uh, Gibbs, uh, how successful do you think that is and how problematic is that, uh, for Biden looking to a general election in Michigan? You've done work in Michigan. Yeah, I think to some degree it's deeply problematic. Look, I, I, I think we're going to have to look at tonight, uh, with a couple of different lenses because we should just sort of remind folks in 2012 and 2016 and 2020, um, about 20,000 people, 19 to 20,000 people voted uncommitted. So e even, even when Barack Obama was winning, uh, the renomination in 2012, they still had 20, you still had 20% of the people voting uncommitted, which is an interesting and kind of weird thing. Um, the question is, and the, the party uh, or not the party, the, the group has, set a goal of basically matching 11,000 people right. into that uncommitted because they say that's the number of, uh, of voters accurately that Trump won the state by. But I think they actually said, I need 11,780. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. And made it in a phone call. Um, <laughs> I think that, but I think, I think numbers aside, because, you know, there's, there's 70 or so thousand Arab American voters heavily concentrated in in Dearborn uh, outside of, of Michigan. But I think there's enough rhetoric from the community there to believe that Donald or to believe that Joe Biden has a political problem. One that, you know, he sent his deputy national security advisor there to talk to groups. Uh, they were so concerned about this after the campaign sent the campaign manager and 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 groups refused to meet with her. So I don't think there's any doubt. And, and look, you under this theory if you're if you're voting for anybody other than Joe Biden, you're voting for Donald Trump, which I think is the theory the Biden campaign has and probably should have, that any vote that isn't for Joe Biden is a bad thing for Joe Biden. 
And, you know, these voters, again, a little bit like Nikki's voters, are they going to sit it out? I don't see them going to the Trump uh, side of this or the Republican side of this, but they could easily sit this out and cause a big problem. That's the danger. You know, there are a couple of hundred thousand Arab American voters in Michigan, and they voted overwhelmingly for Biden in 2020. If they sit out, it's going to be a marginal race in Michigan. Uh, and, and, you know, that doesn't include disaffection among young people over this war, disaffection among uh, African-Americans uh, over the war. So, which may be, Sarah, why Biden wandered into an ice cream parlor in New York yesterday and said he thought that there was a ceasefire uh, imminent on the, and, and he did it on the eve of the, of the uh, Michigan primary. What tea leaves should we read from, uh, from Michigan? Well, I want to talk about actually Michigan on the Republican side in just a second. So remind me of that. But the on on Biden, you know, I think there's if people look, people want to make themselves heard on uh, the Gaza Israel situation. And frankly, I'm glad they can make themselves heard in a primary where the stakes uh, are nothing for Joe Biden other than a narrative. Right. There's a, but but if you give people the opportunity to kind of get this out of their system, right, it matters a lot more what this situation is. Uh, eight months from now than it does uh, where it is from a just a pure political standpoint for Biden. And so um, I think uh, hopefully they feel like they're they they get they are heard from this um, and they they uh, come back. I, I do think I mean, I've always thought Biden's theory of the case. I, I don't think they should rest on it. I think it is they have to they have to have a sense of urgency about how hard they're pushing. And yet I have always agreed just because I listen to these voters all the time who are down on Biden, even mad at Biden, blame him for the fact that their rent's high or inflation. But you tell them Trump versus Biden and they say, oh, I'm going to come out and vote for Biden, you know, put a pin in that because this is exactly what Governor Whitmer's message was on Sunday. Let's, let's listen to what she said. I just want to make the case, though, that it's important not to lose sight of the fact that any vote that's not cast for Joe Biden supports a second Trump term. A second Trump term would be devastating, not just on fundamental rights, not just on our democracy here at home, but also when it comes to foreign policy. This was a man who promoted a Muslim ban. This is, I think, a very high stakes moment. I am encouraging people to cast an affirmative vote for President Biden. I understand the pain that people are feeling, and I'll continue to work to build bridges with um, folks in, in all of these communities because they're all important to me, they're all important to Michigan, and I know they're all important to President Biden as well. She's all over your point, which is the main event comes in November and it's Biden versus Trump, and there are stark differences, and uh, certainly there should be stark differences for that community. Uh, by the way, she's good, you know, she's she was good in delivering that message. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to dust up the, oh boy, we should have another candidate thing, but she's got good chops. That's not what comes to mind for me. What comes to mind for me is Joe Biden is in desperate need of a big, broad surrogate game. Oh, there's and no doubt. When she comes out and does this and you think, boy, Gretchen Whitmer's quite good at this. You're like, why don't we see Gretchen Whitmer all the time? Why don't we see Jared Polis all the time? Why don't we see Josh Shapiro all the time? I mean, they need the, probably this is the most significant, I mean, there's never been a greater need for a superstar surrogate group and a superstar surrogate group that is strategically coordinated with a message that um, uh, is consonant with the message that the campaign wants to send. Uh, I don't know why they didn't flood the zone after Trump tanked the immigration bill. I don't know why they didn't flood the zone. Uh, about, they haven't flood the, flooded the zone on this uh, Ukraine issue with Trump. They. You know, Biden can't carry the message the way other presidential candidates have. Therefore, surrogates become so much more important. And the surrogate director, Gibbs, in that campaign is going to be a lot more important than uh, the surrogate directors have been in the past. Yeah, no doubt. Look, I, and Murphy said this, too. I mean, you know, he'd, he'd campaign with the surrogates, basically bring one of them along on all these trips. You know, yeah. he, I, I think he just wants to get Tina Raimondo sprung from the Department yeah, of Commerce out on the yeah, campaign I trail. But I, I look, I, I think surrogates are going to be a, a, a big reason and a big challenge. I think I, I think that my guess, though, is the Biden campaign understands, you know, 
that, yes, this is an expression during a primary and they hope that time heals all wounds. I do think there is a political challenge that they have. I think it is going to require Biden to get involved in the in the political challenge that the policy challenge uh, has created for him, because, you know, these are voters, Sarah, not unlike you and, and others in the Trump or in the Republican side on democracy. You know, this is life and death for them. Uh, and I, I don't think that this is just going to be one of those things where people are not going to want to see a, a policy change, but they're just going to feel good. Like we registered our, we registered our cause. We're now going to be back on team Biden in November. I, I think, I think Whitmer said what she needed to say and, and what she could say. I do not think that in and of itself is going to assuage a lot of those. But voters. I think the larger point Sarah's making is, uh, he he they need to flood the zone with these surrogates and it also conveys a sense when you do that that it isn't just biden but it's a team that there are a lot you know that there's the democratic team out there and that's what murphy's point is about the cabinet you know the the cabinet are eminently uh are eminently uh uh presentable smart capable uh, people and therefore it conveys a sense of a government that is capable and smart and normal so there are all kinds of benefits to that. Uh, one thing I would say to you, Gibbs, though, I don't know that they that the, the Biden folks are are uh, are so as much uh, hopeful that uh, time uh, wounds uh, heals all wounds as uh, as much as time wounds all heals. I think that's what they're as Dorothy Parker used to say. Not that time. Anyway, it's an old joke. Time wounds all heals. Anyway. Back to um, we didn't laugh. We heard it. We just didn't. We just didn't find it all. I know. As, Maybe as... we have to cut the damn joke. <laughs> no, let the let the people hear your joke. It was uh, uh, no. It was I'm actually kidding. Dorothy Parker's joke. By the way, I stole that joke. But Sarah, you want to talk about the Republican side? In um... yeah, I only wanted to make one point, which is you know, as we have been trying to sort of pull out the different segments of the Haley voters in New Hampshire and in South Carolina, Michigan's going to give us a much clearer shot at this, because even though it is an open primary as well, she's only had a few days, right? Like she spent less than half a million dollars in the state. She's been in the state for like three days. So she hasn't had the time to sort of fire up the anti-Trump coalition like she has in the last two states. And so for me, I think it's going to be interesting to get a much cleaner read on, uh, like right now, Trump's up 70 percent over her. Uh, And so that like, does she overperform in this state? That is going to be actually, I think, quite interesting. And tell us more than we've learned so far. Look, I think the next eight or nine days, she had 10 days from Saturday. So it's it's, we're now at eight to seven to eight days. To to your point, you, you come out of these first four states where you've spent an inordinate amount of time talking to. Uh, voters in person answering their questions, being on their TV sets to, you know, jumping into Super Tuesday or the lead up to and into Super Tuesday, which is 20 some states. I mean, more than a thousand delegates are going to be awarded uh, on Super Tuesday a week from today. And again, based on the rules and such, I'd have a hard time. And you you could even hear Nikki Haley. She she addressed this um, also on Saturday. She she sounded like somebody Willing to go through Super Tuesday, but right. not necessarily willing to go beyond them. Totally. She's going out after Super Tuesday. I don't yeah. think there's any there's any question about it. Let's take a short break and hear from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, folks, if you're like me, then relationships are the cornerstone of your life. Relationships with your family, relationships with your friends. And if you are, then you know that a common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. That's not true. Sometimes the best relationships are the ones where both people put in the work to make them great. And therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. I've certainly benefited from therapy and others have as well. It's important to have someone who you can talk things through with who is a little detached, has perspective, has experience. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, you might want to give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash hacks today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hacks. Since we're on the Republican side, let's do one quick thing, and then we got to talk about the president who's you know, obviously he was out on Seth Meyers last night. He's trying to uh, take a more uh, proactive uh, stance here. Um, but Trump, he everybody was outraged uh, about uh, a particular comment that he made uh, over the weekend. I think it was over the weekend. I got indicted for nothing, for something that is nothing. They were doing it because it's election interference. And then I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me, because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. It's, it's been pretty amazing. But it possibly, I don't know, maybe there's something there. So, Sarah, react to Because, I mean, everybody's hair was on fire. Uh, about it for obvious reasons it, it was uh it was demeaning uh in some ways but racist yes uh, uh but yes but um i kind of feel like when trump speaks his people hear one thing and uh others we hear something else uh same thing on nato you know, everybody was like inflamed about his comments on NATO, I think for, for good reason. But I, I wonder whether his supporters here, yeah, they ought to be paying their share of these. Why should they be freeloading off of us, these Europeans? It's actually been an issue that Democrats and Republicans have exploited. Talk to me about Trump and this repeated phenomenon where he says things that outrage probably everybody on this podcast and everybody, who li- maybe most people listen to it don't doesn't end up hurting him. And then let's talk about him and black voters. Yeah. Well, so sometimes the focus group gods smile on me and it just so happens that yesterday I did a group of Clinton Biden voters, black voters who are leaning toward Trump. Uh, So we were able to sort of test this proposition. So these are Mm -hmm. voters who've decided they're just out on Biden and they're, they're considering Trump. And here's what several of them said. They said exactly what Trump said, which is, you know, I feel like Trump understands, you know, they 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 get the route to get him. They have all these trumped up charges uh, going after him. And that makes me like him more. That makes me feel like he understands, you know, when that happens to people like me. And so I think that it does hit differently. Now, I don't think this is by any means representative of all black voters. In fact, I we know empirically it's not. But it was when Trump says things like that, Trump is saying that because he's heard people say it. And mm-hmm. uh, he's heard people say it because there is a strain of black voters who I don't think they don't say things like, boy, Trump, you know, what, when he's like, they love me because of my mugshot, you know, and it's like this idea of black people go to jail and I go to jail. And therefore, like, that's why we understand each other. Like, that is profoundly racist but the idea of this guy being sort of uh constantly put upon and feeling like he's the victim that is a yeah. thing that resonates with a lot of people not just but one last thing i'll say about the the black voters who were leading towards trump is how much they sounded like like kind of uh work like a lot of the the white voters uh, yeah. that we talked to who like there was a lot of people who were very skeptical of vaccines um, and who yeah, well, felt that's historic. Like, and yeah. who felt like uh, it was important that Trump was talking about the deep state. Uh, and so it it didn't they didn't sound particularly different than a lot of the groups we listen to who are white, who are talking about why they like Trump. Was their main focus, though, on how they got to be lean Trump economics? No, I mean, some of it was. But actually, it was a lot of uh, the I feel like the Democratic Party takes us for granted. I feel like they just show up around election time. I feel like they don't talk to us. Um, some of it was value stuff around. There was a woman who talked a lot about the the trans issues. And what was interesting was the, the moderator asked, you know, um, 
do you feel like the Republican Party is more racist uh, than the Democratic Party? And most of them said yes. Like most of them said that the Republican Party broadly was more racist. Uh, but that didn't Trump didn't get held to the They liked Trump it's amazing yeah. better than they liked the Republican Party. Can I ask one question about this? How much is just the idea of strength at play here? Trump as a tough, strong, resilient character. One thing that strikes me is, uh, you know, uh, when he started getting indicted, everybody said, well, as people have said for eight years, that's the end of him. But his resilience <laughs> through this, uh, you know, gauntlet that he's running it seems to me is one more proof point to the people who want to support him that it's a big, tough guy. And in the contrast with Biden, uh, that that plays for him. It does. I would say so. It's funny that the one of the biggest things that somebody said on this kind of strength point was we asked about RFK and the young men especially talked like this. Um, but he said, I would never vote for RFK, even though I like his position on vaccines because of his voice. And his point was that he thought he, he thought RFK's voice was weird, um, which because, you know, he's had some kind of accident that has impacted the way he talks. And the guy was like, you, you have to sound like a man, like, you know, you have to sound yeah. like you're mm-hmm. the, the leader of the world. I will tell you the other thing that was just replete in this group was um, a real frustration with Kamala Harris. And uh, they were just and they were angry. The women, these the these black women were like. We she's invisible. She's making she's embarrassing us. She's not out there, you know, showing how strong we are. Uh, she overemphasizes their her Indian heritage versus her black heritage. Like they hmm. they had really um, tough things to say. And again, I don't want to say that this is representative of black voters because I know from doing the groups, this is a very specific slice. But if you're asking the question, why is Trump doing slightly better with black voters? I felt like I got a lot of answers from this group. Yeah, I mean, it's important because he's pulling uh, consistently 20 to 22 percent of uh, of the black vote in polling. If it were to stay that way, Robert, that's big trouble uh, in these swing states. No, it's huge. I mean, look, look at a place like Michigan, right? You've got a huge uh, black voter population in important places like Detroit and in Flint. Uh, and look, we've, we've, you can boil this all down again, as we said, six states are going to decide this a few thousand votes here and there, you know, any uptick in turnout that feels different than historical norms and certainly 20 to 22% for a Republican with black voters would be way outside of the norm, you know, Arab Americans not voting uh, the same. Any any of these voters, Republicans for Trump, I, I think each of them, you know, particular vulnerabilities, just with a little, just tiny gradation of sort of what people think of is as the norm, and it's got to keep them up at night. Biden was on Seth Meyers' show in New York last night. I I discovered this when I was trying to walk through Midtown Manhattan, and the whole damn thing was locked down because. The president was in town. You just better be glad the Secret Service didn't realize you were walking on a sidewalk in Midtown, my friend. <laughs> Here is the uh, exchange that he had. Seth Meyers asked him directly about the age question. He was obviously prepared with an answer. How do you address that concern going forward as you come up to the 2024 election? Well, a couple of things. Number one, you got to take a look at the other guy. He's about as old as I am, but he can't even remember his wife's name. Yeah. And, uh, Number one. Number two, <laughs> it's about how old your ideas are. Look, I mean, this is a guy who wants to take us back. He wants to take us back on Roe v. Wade. He wants to take us back on a whole range of issues that are 50, 60 years. They've been solid American p- positions. And um, and I really mean this sincerely. The, uh, I think it's about war- about the future. And everything, every single thing we've done, I think we've got some good things done. Everything, and we, they told us we couldn't get them done because things were so divided. And uh, but I think everything, everything we've gotten done, he's just friendly stated he wants to do away with if he gets elected. And I really think his views on where to take America are older than anyway. I know I get. 
Axel, what do you what do you, what do you think of that? And, and this is I I had them pull this clip because I wanted to get your thought on. I, I don't know whether that's the answer, but that seems like a whole lot better answer than I've heard Biden and the Biden campaign give to yeah. age in a long time. Well, first of all, he did answer, which I think is a good thing because you know the fact that he. You know, he snapped at the reporter when she said a lot of people are worried about your age. And he said, that's your opinion. Well, it's not their opinion. That's this is the single greatest barrier uh, that he faces. And he has to figure out a way to talk about it. And I think the the core of what he said uh, is where he should be, which is both these guys are old uh, to be blunt about it. You know, they have most of their uh lives behind them. This isn't about their future. It's about our future. And one guy is looking to the future and the other guy's consumed by his past. Uh, I think that is a fundamentally important uh, argument. You know, execution needs some work here. Um, But um, no, I I think that, you know, this is, we've, I've talked about it here before. I think this is where he, he needs to be. He needs to fill it out because People need to know what that means. Like, where where else would uh, Trump take us back? Uh, and Sarah, one thing. Well, first of all, give your view of of that of his answer. Uh, does the execution overwhelm the uh, uh, the content? Uh, and um, but uh, do do you think that the the kind of future past formulation he had there works? I mean, look, he he can't pretend that he's not an old man. Uh, I, I just the, the the I get sometimes I get mail uh, from the board, you know, board readers, whatever, saying, "Well, if you you and the media would stop talking about how old he is, uh, you know, that's the real problem." And I, I'm telling you from listening to voters, Democratic voters, whatever, nobody's missing the fact that this guy's very old. And so you got to hang a lantern on it. You got to say mm-hmm. right. uh, he's got to be able to lean into it and say, "Look, I'm an old man, but I'm like Yoda." You know, I'm like a wise protector. And Donald Trump is like, I'm not a big Star Wars person, but the the Palpatine, the bad guy, you know, like Yoda does die in Empire Strikes Back. Just okay, so. is that is that why that's a bad I, but people, people understand. I'm just kidding. The Yoda yeah. good guy. Um, <laughs> they do. Look, they do. I'm wise kidding. protector, old Grandpa Joe, any of the things that feel kindly, but like you're in safe hands um, is is a is something he's got to figure out how to navigate and i think um he's still it sounded to me in his execution there that he's still a little reluctant to sort of talk about it this way he's got a couple good lines there's a lot of other lines i don't know he could talk about how uh you know hey let's talk about numbers like 91 you know uh that's how many indictments trump has like i'm a lot younger than the number of trump's indictments i don't know but there's a million ways for him to lean into it and he does have to lean into it cuz it's no one's missing it well i do think you know acts to your point i mean and you've said this, he, this should be the basis of a speech that he gives, yeah. right? This should be the basis of, and, and the basis of many speeches, to your point. Look, let's outline why he has old ideas on choice, why he has old ideas on defending the country, why he has old ideas on you know, X, Y, and Z, on tax cuts for, uh, you know, for working class people. All of those things, I, I think, look, I, I thought it was a great answer only in the sense that, yes, execution is about a six. I'm just glad we're getting to making that turn. We're not making just a joke anymore that, oh, I remember I, I'm good friends with James Madison. It's, it is, to Sarah's point, it's addressing the issue that A is out there. And I think, look, I think you've seen a stepped up Biden campaign. You know, Yes, I think they should have done a Super Bowl interview. I'm glad they did Seth Meyers. They're going to the border on Thursday. I do think you've seen the beginnings of a cadence that acknowledges what Sarah said, which is they may not like to talk about age. Voters uh, have made up their mind on it. You age. can't not join the issue. You have to right. tell people why it's worth it. I do think on the content, though, you know, Sarah, I, I my my view is that um, that people you you have to be a little bit more specific about those things that. Uh, uh, specific issues on which Trump is uh, off base because I think people, the sort of Trump as maniac, Trump as 
or not as maniac, but Trump as a, uh, you know, displeasing personality thing. It's sort of baked in the cake. And there's kind of like, yeah, he's kind of nuts, but he's strong. And, you know, you've got to defeat that. So you've got to really be on his ass all the time, you know, uh, and maybe uh, Biden will be when they both are down at the border uh, on Thursday, because this border issue looms very large in this election. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. If you've got a question for David Axrod, Mike Murphy, myself, our guests, anybody, uh, you can email us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. Or call David Axelrod's backup home phone number, 773-389-4471, and quickly record your question for the hacks. Say your name, say your question, hang up. And if it isn't four and a half minutes long, we'll use it on the air. Sarah Dietrich left a voicemail message, and I think it was uh, meant for all of us, but w- why don't you take the first crack at this one? Hey, Hacks, this is Dietrich from Michigan. How politically exposed are Republicans to the recent Alabama Supreme Court ruling that grants legal personhood to frozen embryos? Will its impact be limited to the South, or will it affect them nationwide? Thanks. Love the show. Thanks, Dietrich. Great question. So, uh, the IVF ruling is bad for Republicans. Uh, however, how bad it is for Republicans has a lot to do with whether or not Democrats can prosecute an offense case on this. Because Donald Trump is this is where he sort of shines in triangulating against uh, rulings like these. And, you know, you saw he came out and condemned it very quickly. Right. And this is why Donald Trump gets read by Republican voters as a cultural moderate. Uh, And I am deeply worried about the way that um, that Trump is able to sort of avoid the fate of a lot of other Republicans on issues like abortion and IVF. Uh, And so I think that it is going to be incumbent on uh, Democrats to really go prosecute this case, because right now Republicans are running really fast from this. They know it's bad politics for them, but there is a bill that many people have signed that essentially enshrines exactly this, uh, that that says, uh, and, and a whole bunch of Republicans have co-sponsored it, and now they're trying to say, no, 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 we're for IVF, we're for babies. I think Mike Johnson may have been a sponsor. Yeah, that's right. And so um, you've got to go hard on things like this, because IVF is a deeply personal, both of my, both of my boys uh, we did via IVF. Lots of women are telling these stories right now. And I don't think anybody wants Tommy Tuberville involved in these decisions. Uh, and so, um, but you got to go on offense. It's like this with everything. Offense, offense. Yeah. Yeah. This is an advantage uh, of being, having no fixed principles other than self-promotion. Uh, it, it can be a real advantage for Trump. And like he, he, he's been from the beginning, you know, he's lived in the Republican primaries off of his uh, sponsorship of these uh, Supreme Court justices who kill Roe versus Wade, even as he's sort of signaled that he's moderating, that he wants to moderate on these issues because he knows it's a loser and he's not bound by any particular principles uh, on this. And uh, so he's, he's been light on his feet on this. But that videotape lives of him uh, bragging about being the guy who tore down Roe versus Wade. And so he's going to have to, you know, that videotape should be pretty uh, prominent in Democratic advertising uh, moving forward. Gibbs, you were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say all you need to know is that the people in the legislature and, and the governor of Alabama 
all ardent Republicans, uh, with the help of some Democrats in the legislature, are moving quickly to overturn this. All that you know that, that to Sarah's point, that's what you need to know about how bad uh, a, a concept and an idea this is. Uh, I don't think you have to worry too much about Tommy Tuberville, Sarah, because he was asked about this and and didn't really know what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is not unprecedented. So no. Gibbs, <laughs> Nick wants to know, is there a minimum number of states that a third party can run in if a third party like no labels really wanted to keep Trump from winning? Couldn't they limit themselves to state ballots that Biden didn't win last time, but could win some right leaning independent, def- uh, but could with some right leaning independent defection like North Carolina, Iowa, Ohio, Texas and Florida? Dark blue states where Biden didn't lose, like New York and California, and dark red states where Biden would never win, like Wyoming and Idaho. Man, Nick. Yeah, I think, Nick, first of all, have a seat, get a good sip of water. You're thinking too much about uh, about how all this stuff works. First, No Labels has talked about the fact that they want to be on as many state ballots as they want. This is No Labels is not a, is not a campaign in order to not reelect Donald Trump. They've got some other weird experiment that they're trying to go through. I, I do think you touch on, in part of your question does touch on, though, the big impact on third parties is not just, and you see this in some of the polling, you throw these names in there in a national poll and you figure out who they're going to vote for. What we don't know yet is what states, a Robert Kennedy Jr., what states, a, a no-labels candidate, were they able to find an actual candidate? Uh, n- no understanding of the green party uh or anything like that which of these states are they actually going to compete in it their being on the ballot will matter in only six states it will just depend on whether or not they're focused on being on the ballot of those swing states and can it impact it one of the things that we've talked about previously on this show is a concern that robert kennedy jr might get on the libertarian ballot uh he had a bad weekend at the california libertarian convention and it looks pretty much like that avenue is closed off. And that's a good thing for people that are supporting Biden in this race, because it just means that that campaign and the other campaigns are going to have to go manually get themselves on the ballot. Uh, that's a huge, big watch out for what happens between now and November. Yeah, no labels. People say that they are trying to provide an alternative if these are the two candidates in a country that isn't enthusiastic about those two candidates. Uh, the if, but. I think you can go to the bank on the fact that the next president of the United States is not going to be a no labels candidate. It's going to be the candidate who no labels uh, helps elect uh, by being on that ballot. So uh, folks ought to keep that in mind. Uh, And Gibbs, you got one for me. Yeah, Austin. uh, Austin writes in many pundits state that Trump's 2024 presidential campaign operation is stronger than his previous campaign campaigns despite his legal issues what strategies have you noticed trump's campaign has approved upon for this race versus the previous ones yeah this is a there is a dichotomy this year that's really noticeable uh you know trump is still trump and he can be stone cold nuts out there but his campaign is very rational and very proficient and uh you know their strategy uh you know starting with the strategy of not participating in the debates but they're just blocking and tackling and understanding party rules and helping to write party rules and understanding how you uh, deal with events like the Iowa caucuses and how you organize for them. Uh, uh, Chris LaCivita, Susie Wiles, the people who are running the campaign, are longtime war horses, and they really get the internal uh, mechanisms of running. The question is, uh, how much can they control? They uh, they clearly didn't send Trump out there in New Hampshire to have like a breakdown in front of a national TV audience, uh, uh, you know, and go after Nikki Haley in very personal terms and actually give her oxygen uh, the way he did. He behaved better after South Carolina. But, you know, I'm sure they wake up every day and look at their phone to see what he posted overnight and try and uh, figure out how they deal with it. Uh, but in terms of just basic blocking and tackling, this Trump campaign is better than the previous two. And that should be a concern and an alert 
to the Biden campaign, which was slow in organizing, is taking up, uh, getting a, a little more momentum now, but still has a long way to go. Their next big test will be how much does he, how much time does he spend talking about Nikki Haley between now and when Super Tuesday closes? Because if if they've won this wrestling match, he doesn't mention her name for the next nine or eight or nine days. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 see. That's it's always a it's always an adventure with Donald Trump. Uh, so, Sarah, we didn't mention this, but we should. You wrote an excellent piece in the Atlantic that landed yesterday called "How Donald Trump Became Unbeatable." You meant in the Republican primaries. You called out those Republican politicians who have been complicit in it. You called out the candidates who foolishly thought that they could. Uh, imitate him and beat him uh, at his own game. And you, uh, I think, appropriately lavished praise on those who went down valiantly trying to point out Trump's deficiencies. But uh, it's really a, um, it's really a, as, as always, it's really a thoughtful piece. So I recommend it to everybody. And thank you for taking uh, time today. We, we're always, we're always happy to have you here. And thanks for being on the 250th episode. Oh, yeah, oh, I forgot about that. No way. Yeah. What a good one for me to be on. Woo. Right. Yes. We'll see you at the after party. <laughs> All right, guys. All Gibbs, right. I'll see you next week. Sarah, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.